Hello and welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Dave Starold. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 41, World Building and Second Order Effect. So, what brought this up? So what brought this up was I love world building, first mm-hmm. of all. I don't always consider it to be writing, because sometimes that's just it's just fun to make a world and the sort of writing part is not part of it. Mm-hmm. Just the same way sometimes like thinking things up for role playing games or like doing role playing itself is not always writing. Yeah, and a lot of it is just brainstorming or having fun, kind of daydreaming. Mm-hmm. So I'm a I'm a stay at home dad these days, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of my time is spent with my son. Is not uh, all that intellectually engaging. Um, so I have a lot of time for for kind of thinking about things, but I can't be writing, right? Um, and so I do a fair amount of just world building in my head then, and just get it onto paper afterwards. So uh, one of the ideas that I had lately that I wanted to do is a very anime type thing where you have a battle school, right? Where people go and then they like fight each other. Like the the curriculum sort of revolves around um, one-on-one or small group combat. There is the much maligned Asterisk War or Asterisk War. Uh, There is uh, My Hero Academia. Mm Mm-hmm would be an example of it, but it's, it's, it's very common. Uh, it's common to have it as a sort of sports thing rather than a direct combat thing. But it's, I kind of wanted to not necessarily write my own version of that, but to sort of do the world building monkeying with that type of concept. Like what it would look like if you tried to do it, I guess, with a rational lens, like a real, what, what like a real world would actually look like if that was done instead of just doing it as like a conceit for an anime. Yeah, because a lot of times what people will do is they'll just say, they will establish a rule, which is, and we're going to be talking a lot, a lot about rules and the effects of those rules, but mm-hmm. their rule will just be, there's this school where people do combat with each other and try to earn prestige and status, and then there's not that much thought given to why that would be the case, mm-hmm. that there would be a battle school. It's just, it's just established as the, the conceit, and then you go forward from there and you... As the audience, as an audience member, you accept the conceit, and then you don't worry about the foundation of that conceit. Right. So the starting point is sort of there is a probably prestigious school. Like you'd want to make it a pre- prestigious school just so that there'd be funds to do a lot of different things, and so you can add like status into it. If you did it as a very common type of school that raises a lot of questions, I think. Well, based on the story you want to tell, you can be like, poor student, like, accepted into a, a prestigious school because they're just that talented. Or if you don't want to set at a prestigious school, you can do the small town school, like, the kind of Mighty Ducks thing, right? Right. Ragtag bunch of newbies or, or poor students or whatever go up against the the prestigious one as, like, the, the final boss of their, yeah. of their arc. Oh, and I was going to say, uh, Shokugeki no Soma, which is also known as Food Wars, is another one. But that's, that's cooking school. <laughs> right, right. Rather than, rather than people fighting. It, it, it is, uh, both the manga and the anime, they're very much in the same style of personal combat, but all, all the conflicts are conflicts of cooking styles against each other. So that was sort of the starting point was there's a school where you go and you engage in a lot of fights. Right, and then those 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 conflicts that are resolved by fighting are sort of the character driven or character revealing, and then you have some more like people doing gambits of various types, and and a lot of it's focused on combat and that kind of thing. That's that's what I wanted. So you start with that as the consequence of some unknown to you rule, and then it sort of 
a matter of working backwards to figure out what rule or set of rules that you would want in place in order to produce that specific consequence that you're aiming for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very, I think that that's a difficult uh, method of world building, primarily because you, it's easy to overfit in a way that is not pleasing to the reader, right? Like there are a lot of ways that you can result that, that the, there, there are a lot of rules that you could create that would have a result of there being a prestigious one-on-one battle school. Right. And a lot of those rules would not be satisfying to the reader, um, or they would just very narrowly create this one effect that, that you were specifically aiming for, and people would be like, oh, that's really contrived. Yeah, ignoring the effects of them also is something that a lot of media would do, which can end up with just, like, down-the-line inconsistencies once you start, like, fleshing the story out and realize, oh, you didn't really consider, like, what the actual reasons for this are or what the actual effects of this are. Right. So I was talking about this on the Rational Subreddit Discord some... Okay, let's say that that is the consequence. What does the rest of the world look like, mm-hmm. right? What rules do you set up? And a lot of those rules that people came up with were were along the lines of, like, there's some explicit reason for... For the school to be set up, right? Uh, like if you have some kind of magic that favors single combatants that have to like go out in the field and, and mm-hmm. kill monsters or whatever. If your battle school is sort of creating generations of elite monster hunters or something like that, or um, you have people with specific bloodlines who are in the ruling class and then they need to learn to use their magical powers, or you're doing this, you know, fairly young because magical power comes from young people and then, and then these young people are frontline soldiers in the war. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Th- those are fine rules. I just wanted something that was more... Um, I'd been reading the uh, Inadequate Equilibria mm-hmm. of posts on, on Lesser Wrong. and um, Lesser Wrong, for those who don't know, is like Lesser Wrong 2.0. It's like a new shiny and improved version of Less Wrong that's uh, being collectively put together. Right. So Inadequate Equilibria series is sort of about how sometimes society has sort of bad consequences that happen as a result of these individual rules and uh, the outcome is not really what anyone would prefer it to be, but that's what ends up happening because of sort of sub-rules. So I, I, I set for myself the restriction that I wanted a battle school in a world where that's not what they would select for themselves, mm-hmm. right? It's only that case because because of how the incentive gradients are, are pointed or just because of tradition or like entrenched institutions or all, all these sort of things that happen in the real world, right? It's not that there is a battle school exists because that is the most logical, you know, that's not the most logical way to, to arrange society if you're starting from square one. Right, so instead of instead of making it so that just upgrading the worlds so that the, the the thing that they're doing commonly in the in the genre is logical somehow. It's kind of a it's a rational version of the events that instead of making the events rational, it it explains why it's irrational through realistic rational means. Right, and then the, one of the benefits of doing it that way is that you can sort of attack the system and right. you can attack the sort of you can get at the idea of inadequate equilibria right if right. it's an adequate equilibrium then you can't really you can't really deal with that very much right yeah. 
if there are noble bloodlines that have special magical powers and they need to learn to use those magical powers early so that they can go out and fight monsters and continue the wealth of their family, you know, that might not be great for them. But if that's still the most ideal way that their society could be arranged, then it's not you can't really attack the idea of that society or it's, it's harder to, to comment on it. I yes. Guess. But yeah, I kind of I kind of knew that I wanted to write. Well, no, because I'm not writing it. Uh, <laughs> I, okay, technically, technically, I have written like two chapters, mm-hmm. just because I couldn't help yourself. Well, I sometimes find it helpful to write a chapter of something to feel out as the a way, yeah, yeah, yeah to, to to sort of feel things out, right? And then you just have to make sure that you're not like married to that chapter, and you just think to yourself, well, I can't change these details because yeah. I wrote a chapter already, and I don't want to throw it out, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's very valuable for, especially especially if you don't have a full plot yet or you don't have a full world, you can write a, a chapter or a little sample or just like two characters talking about something and sort of feel out what's interesting about that. So U.S. presidential elections mm-hmm. are, I think, one of my go-to examples of situations that aren't really as anyone would prefer them to be because you the presidential elections, are just, it, the candidates spend enormous amounts of money and even the people who are, you know, the the institutions and individuals that are funding a lot of this would not prefer it that way because right. they can't like they can't reliably pay to win an election. That uh, that might be a, a matter of personal opinion there. But well, in, in any case, there's something we probably have mentioned at some point, but just in case haven't called uh, a red queen hypothesis or a red queen race or a red queen effect, where the basic idea is that the combatants or the the contestants in the in the arena are causing one another to continually have to step things up in a kind of a runaway positive feedback loop and right. this makes things like worse worse for both of them but they can't stop it like there's no like their their incentives are to continue to build up against each other in a way that that negatively affects both of them and so yeah like advertising is an example of this right if, if one company spends two thousand dollars and the other companies um to market something another company spends two thousand dollars to market something and then like just to just to keep up and one or both of them might decide to spend more and then the other one will have to spend more but like they're not gaining anything extra like you can't after a certain point you've you've reached you've reached like saturation point on the market but they're still outbidding each other to right to try to get the same effect but still just putting spending more and more money on on the process of it yeah, and there are a lot of those um, that we would regard as positive, like two two companies both lowering their prices mm-hmm. in order to compete against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bad for both of them. They would rather collude with each other, but, I mean, that collusion is made illegal for one, but even if it's not illegal, sometimes they'll both defect anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll defect from any collusion just because they think that they can they can win that way or they can't make a formal agreement or something. So the idea of setting up the rules such that you get a society that no one truly prefers, but it's that way anyway, because of all these forces sort of interacting with each other Mm -hmm. um, in a way that to me opens up a lot of possibilities for conflicts, right? This is one of the things I do when world building is you start with there's battle school, right? And then you figure out a set of, rules that enforce the existence of the battle school and then you look at the consequences of those rules in other areas 
which would be the first order effects. Mm -hmm. And then you explore the consequences of those consequences, which are the second order effects. And you can get a lot of really neat setups for character or for conflict in looking at first and second order effects, right? So let's let's say that we have like five or six reasons that battle school exists, right? Mm -hmm. There's cultural expectation first. Um, your parents went to battle school, if, if you're one of the elites, right, rather mm-hmm. than common. Your, your parents went to battle school, your peers are going to go to battle school, and they'll all graduate from it. Everyone does it, and it's normal, right? So that's the first reinforcing fact. Second, there's a moral philosophy of might making right as a sort of foundational justification for rule by the elite. And so battle school is sort of an extension of that moral philosophy. There's uh, status to be had at battle school and a lot of status to lose if you don't go to battle school. Uh, there are legal and cultural forces like a society in which has trial by combat and doesn't allow you to have someone fight for you. Combat becomes a lot more important and so you would go to battle school as a way to further as a way to ensure that you can like win in a legal battle. Mm-hmm. And especially if you have a divide between the elite and the non-elite, if th- if that's like if you have a moral philosophy that's justification for elite rule and then you have a legal system which favors you know people with advantages in nutrition or in armor or in arms or in training that reinforces battle school and the reason to go there networking if all your peers are going to go there then you need to go there in order to make the connections that are going to serve you later in life whether they have to do with combat or not right like mm-hmm. you're going to be spending three years doing like small group or one-on-one and you get to know everyone. And if you don't go there, then you're basically kicked out. And then lastly, entrenched institutions. Once you have a battle school, and especially if it has monopoly on teaching people personal combat, that institution is going to be looking out for itself, even if it's not really serving a great purpose. Right. You see this in a lot of scope creep in institutions where they will take on other responsibilities there are it's very rare to find an institution that was founded for one specific purpose and then once that purpose is served they just close up shop i mean especially in like charitable giving mm-hmm. like a, it's a serious problem that a lot of these foundations will just scope creep because they you know they need to survive they yeah they need to survive They're, they've got you know 100,000 people working there or Sorry, a hundred or or a thousand people working there, mm-hmm. and they're not just gonna say, okay, we, you know, we beat polio. Let's, right. We're just gonna fire everyone and dissolve immediately. Which could be, you know, if they, if they have like a good infrastructure in place and like system in place, and they just shift their focus to something else that's important. It's not necessarily a bad thing. The, the desire to survive past, quote unquote, like your organization's due date. Yeah. But unfortunately, the the reality this often takes is simply just finding some kind of treadmill to run on. Yeah. And I think that happens in software companies. You see that a lot Mm -hmm. is that they, they will never stop delivering features, even if those features are not wanted because that justifies the existence of the software developers and the management team. Oh sure. Hardware companies too, right? Yeah. So, so you set up all these rules and you, you can just, you can, you can see from these rules that they're, the society is not in a bad state, but it's very, very hard to change. And no one really has the full incentive or weight necessary. It's a coordination problem to, to some extent. Right. Um, and to some extent, it's also actors acting in their own interests, following their own incentives that sort of keep this going, right? Because if you have a power structure 
set up that it's going to favor the people who are in power right. or will, will generally tend to. Right. Unless you do something about that. Right. So those people will get in power and they're the ones who have the power to change the system. But they were the ones who benefited most from the power structure being as it was. And you get all these things and you set up these rules. Right. These like six or seven rules for why society is the way it is. And one of those results, one of those first order effects is the existence of this battle school. And you have all these other all these other first order effects from that, basically. So if you have, if you just say, okay, in this society, there's a moral philosophy that might makes right, that, that exists as a justification for rule by, of, of the weak by the strong. There are a bunch of other outcomes from that that you can then explore and probably should explore if you're doing what I think of as proper world building to, mm-hmm. I mean, from a, from a means to an end perspective, you're sort of doing it in order to gain thematic cohesion in your plot and sort of have these background details seep into the main narrative. But I mean, let, let's say that you have you have a legal right to defend yourself using trial by combat. Mm-hmm. So certain people are going to be disadvantaged by that just because they're they're not born with you know let's say let's say someone is born without their right arm. They're, they're going to be inherently disadvantaged in trial by combat, especially if there is no provision within the trial by combat to have someone fight on your behalf, right? And that is, first off, I think a compa- like instantly compelling narrative, right? Someone who sort of can't do trial by combat or has to rely on others to do that for them or has to try to resolve things by other means and not let it go to trial. Right. Right. I think you probably, if you're doing trial by combat, it sort of depends on, on if you're like layering magic over it. You can remove the magic aspect from it, obviously. But um, in terms of in terms of fighting, um, height and reach give you pretty significant advantages. I mean, there's a reason that like boxing is divided into weight classes and stuff. So like if you're just naturally a smaller person you're sort of disadvantaged by that. And that says some things about society and you get these second order effects where like short people have more of an incentive to not appear short or weak people have an incentive to like hide, like physically hide their weakness in terms of like clothing or the view that they present to themselves. And a lot of your second order effects are going to look like different cultural assumptions and different cultural expressions as far as like what kind of media does a, a society like that consume? What kind of like, what would their plays be about? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of my favorite things about world building is looking at the, the second order effects of things like that, because they, they just add so much to the like richness of the world. For If there's a legal right to trial by combat, then you need to be in shape most of the time. Right. The young have an advantage over the old. You get to the age of 80, you're less able to defend yourself in a, a trial by combat scenario. Right. And you wouldn't necessarily, I guess, say that a society would set it up itself up like that, right? Because the 40-year-olds want to be able to defend their, their grandparents or, or something like that. So maybe there, you say, okay, that's not realistic. I want to include provisions. Or you want to change the culture such that there is less respect for the old. If that's their moral philosophy that might makes right, then maybe as you 
grow older, you become less important to the society and you, you go through this gradual de- decay of losing your standing as you become less and less able to fight. Even if that fighting doesn't actually serve a purpose, like even if they're, it's a unified society with no, no wars or a society that only has like internal conflicts, like a, like a civil war, civil unrest, um, that kind of thing. So you're basically talking about like, again, if there's a, if there's a reason to make a society have these kind of, what we'd probably consider motivated settings or motivated, right? Like, cause the real reason that something like a fighting school anime exists is because it puts a setting that most of the viewers are going to find familiar, but with something much cooler to the viewer than like academic comp- competitions. Yeah, yeah, and well, for a lot, a lot of the like battle school ones, like everyone has their own unique talent or whatever. Right. You 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 have you have a you have a setting that encourages a wide variety of different kinds of like skills and power sets and personalities to you know become friends and become rivals and compete. And if you are just creating from the ground up this this kind of society, you would very very unlikely it's very unlikely that like high schoolers would be the best of the best let alone ones that would like not not just the best of the best like within their within their age group necessarily because it might be like a you know uh college college football kind of thing where like there's the pros and then there's the the people who are still in school who are competing and stuff but like if you do want to focus it on on like the best of the best in 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 those kinds of fights are fairly young like you'd want a reason for that to be the case that arises from the world building yeah and i I think calling it motivated world building is very apt because it's like you're starting from the end goal Mm -hmm. right which is that there's battle school and then you're just working backwards you're trying to figure out what what rules enable that battle school to make logical sense as mm-hmm. an outcome of this society, right? Say there's a battle school, figure out all the reasons that that battle school exists and ma- if, that it makes sense for it to exist, even if it exists for reasons that are inadequate rather than being like the optimal way that society could be. Right. And then once you've made those rules, you just work forward to see the other effects of those rules and then the effects of those effects. And that's, that, I think that's my general world-building process to switch over to Shadows of the Limelight. Mm-hmm. The beginning for Shadows of the Limelight was, I think, superheroes. I think I was thinking about... I was thinking that the hardest thing to explain in superhero settings is not the superpowers, which, I mean, are, are difficult to explain, but it's the, the fact that people go out in costume which and like have these identifiable personas mm. that they that they pursue and i was thinking about that and i was thinking that doesn't make very much sense it makes some sense for heroes it makes a lot less sense for for villains for a villain to just have an established villainous persona mm-hmm. right because the villain just wants to presumably just wants to get power money freedom whatever it is and having a established persona in the public public eye is kind of the opposite of that yeah, except for in some like very what I would assume would be very rare circumstances. Right. I mean, you there there are a few times that you know villains have have wanted to be not not villains but like criminals have wanted to be widely known and and have a sort of cult of personality. Yeah, 
if there's some kind of warlord or some kind of gang leader or like something where the 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 popularity they enjoy or the inf- infamy reputation that's the word if the reputation that they have is one that helps them achieve their goals then it's very useful yeah yeah but um so i was thinking about that and i was thinking well what if being famous is actually the thing that gives you the power right mm. so so that was the that was the first rule set up for that world was being famous gives you power and then uh there are a bunch of first order effects of that which is every politician is going to be is going to have superpowers then mm-hmm. basically like at the beginning process of world building the power set for fame was not well defined but as a, as a starting point politicians are going to have superpowers mm-hmm. almost as a rule like given the existence of superpowers you change the face of warfare where it's you know if a, a single individual is a siege tank basically there's a um, there's some like feedback effects from fame, right? The more famous you are, the more power you will have, and then you get more famous because you have that additional power, which in this case was a good thing for the world building to get more towards a superhero type thing, right? Where most people don't have that. Then you get some second order effect, like, okay, if people get power from being famous, then they're going to attempt to manipulate that fame and if people are attempting to manipulate that fame, then either audiences are going to audience is a loose word, but the, the general public will be on the lookout for attempts at manipulation or they might just sort of lean into it that mm-hmm. they don't necessarily believe anything that they see, but it's all sort of entertainment. There's this sort of exaggerated quality to what everyone like hears and sees because there's so much incentive to Exaggerate. Exaggerate. Yeah. Yeah. To dramatize too. This is the justification for long speeches before and after combat. This is the justification for fancy outfits uh, that are not necessarily combat effective. Right. Yeah. And and um, there are some other rules in Shadows of the Limelight that sort of serve other functions. But the primary conceit of Fame grants you power it explains a bunch of things that are superhero centric. I'm not sure I'd call it a superhero story of heard other people call it that but uh it explains a bunch of things that superheroes do if superheroes get power from monologuing Mm -hmm. or from letting the bad guy get away or things like that um yeah and then uh a lot of the second order effects are sort of about culture or how common people see the world or you know what what kind of what kind of symbolism sort of works its way into everyday life because mm-hmm. if you are you know if you're a superhero and you get power from being famous then you are going to spend your money on advertising and you're going to have like branding deals yeah. will, would enormously benefit you so most of the stuff that's branded in the world or has a name attached to it like every sandwich and every sandwich chomp would sort of be sponsored by by a hero who's who wants to get their name out of out there and so that's like a common way for people to to make money is to have something that they can just rent out as advertising and advertising can kind of run amok and you have all these other effects from that that should logically seep into the world even if that's not the point of of the narrative right um but again one of the things that i like about world building in this way is that you can sort of see those things and then you can, it sort of naturally lends itself to, to stories, right? 
to to characters who have to interact with these systems and have differences of of opinion and methods of operation in how they do that interaction. Yeah. And so this is consequence of the consequence. Right. One of the things I was thinking about for Battle School, the, the work in progress title is a series of fights without any meaning, which I think is actually a terrible title, but it's not. It's terrible in a specific way that may, might make it still usable. I was just gonna say this would be a useful. Like I feel like this is a good. This is a good translated title. Yeah. This is this is a good English translation of an actual title. Yeah, I don't know what the actual title is gonna be. It's probably not gonna be that. But I kind of. It's one of those titles that I kind of like. I kind of like for mm-hmm. not that sensible of reasons. But one of the things I was thinking about is. I mean, just to be clear, if it's satire, it works perfectly. Yeah. If you're gonna like play it completely straight. <laughs> And it's not going to be, it's not going to be satire. It's not going to be funny. It's not going to be parody, really. It's just going to be, or it's not even like necessarily a deconstruction, although it might be. I don't know. You could easily make it a deconstruction if the reason for the battle school and the high school uh, comp- competitive one-on-one fighting is essentially civilization inadequacy, right? And like, right, basically people being locked into this like tradition or this this poor order of of society that like no no individual has the power to unanimously just like help everyone get away from yeah and so everyone's just kind of stuck in the same place like that title works perfectly it's the exact it's the exact ultimate like expression of like what the people who are probably the protagonists would be feeling right with the reasoning for like being against the system yeah well one of the things that i thought was really interesting about that concept where you have uh this sort of entrenched power structure and the only people that could change it are the people who have benefited the most from it. Mm-hmm. Is that like opens up a really good opportunity for a protagonist who's just like amazing at fighting, but also really like feels that the system is unjust and inadequate and is willing to give up all that power once they've gotten to the top. Right. Right. That that like to me strongly suggests that story as sort of the natural path through these first and second order effects. Yeah, because exploring the effects of it would be difficult if the if the character was not in some position of power. And if they are directly able to make the changes themselves, then it's a very different story. It becomes like a like a noble who becomes against the nobility kind of story. Yeah. One of the other things I was thinking about for it was the role of gender, mm-hmm. right? So I said my piece on weight classes and you have height and reach and muscle mass are all pretty big advantages uh you can i've I've said in the past that i love uh what's called waifu Mm -hmm. where you have like a 90 pound girl just beating the crap out of 300 pound men i that is one of my one of my trope weaknesses and i love it but if you don't have a magic system it can be kind of unrealistic Mm -hmm. so i was thinking about let's say you have this world where a fair number of things are are defined by combat even if it's not directly combat even if it's just like social status or or something like that then women are at a disadvantage so you have like sort of built-in gender discrimination in that sense right. and i was thinking that that also suggests that suggests characters to me right mm-hmm. like brian of tarth is sort of a character that exists because she is a she's a woman who's good at fighting because she is unwomanly i guess And that's like a large part of her character. She's just like super tall and super strong and super good at fighting. This is from Game of Thrones. Right. Uh, Sorry. (laughs) Um, But that's sort of, that's the sort of character that uh, such a system suggests to me or such a society. 
which to some extent the medieval society actually was, you know, based around might makes right and people with better nutrition and better equipment and better training, just ruling over people who had at best pitchforks and torches. Yeah. But then you also get other suggestions for characters that just would exist because of, or would have the opportunity to exist because of such a world who, who rely on skills and abilities that are outside of the realm of the existing power structures and, and systems. Mm -hmm. People who basically have to make up for their inability to, to do combat in the traditional sense and the sort of conflicts that arise from that between, you know, people who are favored by the power system and people who are disfavored by the power system, even if they're both within the elite class. Mm -hmm. And I think I was thinking about rules for trial by combat, like whether or not you can have someone fight in your stead. Because if you could have someone fight in your stead, then that's something a commoner could do for a noble. Yeah. So if you limit it to being either by marriage or by blood, you would have all these different first and second order effects from that. That would be kind of interesting to explore, right? Like a married couple would want to produce at least one strong son for the family as, to have as, as their yeah. defender. Yeah. As their defender. So you have larger families that so there's a better chance of that and, and sort of things like that, that suggest, um, I think one character I, I thought would be neat was like the like fifth son of a family who was trying to get a strong fighter, get a strong fighter and ended up with like five of them. Mm-hmm. And so he's sort of at the bottom of the totem pole and like not the strongest fighter, and is sort of like a useless, useless for the purposes of the family. Yeah. The main point of this being essentially that like whatever decision you end up making, like however you just decide to define the rules of the world and, and have them come about, they each will have consequences that can be explored. They each have consequences. They each have consequences that can be explored, and then those consequences can give you more ideas for the story. Can give you more ideas for characters. Can guide the plot. Like if you're if you're brainstorming plot still, so yeah. you know it's important to to not just examine these when you're building the world, but also like keep going in terms of the effects that the rationalization will have. Kind of like the way when you're designing a magic system, you know you just keep keep taking things to the next logical step so that you can get more ideas from it. That way, the same applies to um, world building down and down and down or up and up and up depending on like which um which direction you're going from the from the central conceit that you're you're aiming toward yeah and as you move from first order effects to second order effects you get these sort of uh natural conflicts Mm -hmm. i'm sort of I'm, i'm very big on world building and magic systems both having natural conflicts to them that sort of arise just because of the rules that you've that you've set up at the root of things yeah and then they're and then that gives more of a reason to just even do the world building in the first place. If you just stop at, okay, there's a battle school that these people go to and they battle each other, you don't that you're not saying that much about anything, I guess. Well, you end up with you end up with like the Astro score, where the the conceit con- comes into conflict with the plot because they set it up as the Astro score is is an anime that uh, is fairly widely reviled but still very popular, kind of like Sao, where 
the conceit is like these are these kids with magic powers and they're forced by society slash the government to go to these schools where they train their powers and fight in these death games for riches but like none of the main characters are like against the system despite like paying lip service to the idea that it's brutal and like no one dies in the in the fight like there's no sense of danger in any of the fights that the main characters actually engage in so like it just kind of comes off as like this cool sporting event where people are like happy to become the strongest in because why wouldn't you when you're getting all these benefits and like the society doesn't actually show any real discrimination towards these people who are being forced to fight simply because they have powers and like it just doesn't do any sort of job at all in really selling you this world with this conceit that they have and as a result they miss out on tons of great character opportunities and plot opportunities and the world just kind of feels like a stilted one-dimensional mess yeah yeah, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of people approach world building the wrong way. Or they approach story the wrong way. They approach the marriage of story and world building the wrong way, where it's just the world exists purely in service of... The conceit. Yeah, in service of the conceit, and then and then the story is just the story that's sort of divorced from the world, yeah. in a sense. I mean, this is what... This is obviously what a lot of people find find not satisfactory about non-national fiction but you'll see it in a lot of movies that have aesop specifically yeah you know like it's it's bad in in most non-national fiction but it's also like really noticeable in in any kind of story that's trying to sell you on a moral point one of them being something like elysium the you know movie about the uh, super rich people in in a space station who are able to essentially live forever and have the best like medical tech but they the world is a backwards you know poverty riddled uh giant sweatshop essentially and the like the conceit is not bad one like you can make great stories about it other people have made great stories about it but in this particular case they essentially it seems like they stopped thinking at rich people bad guys great technology no sharing therefore you know good guys have to go and get the technology which is why you get this really bizarre ending where spoiler alert um, it's not a good movie. Um, spoiler alert, like the good guys, you know, managed to get the technology to, and then send it down to earth so everyone can, can have it. And it's like treated as this great big happy like thing where it's like, were they able to do that at any point? Yeah. There was just, there was nothing stopping them from like, it wasn't based on some limited resource. It wasn't like there was like some kind of like technological reason why like it only operates in space or something like that or anything. It was just like, they were just really evil and just didn't want to give anyone else access to the technology that they had even though it would have prevented like all this bad stuff from happening yeah well and it, it, it was weird because it's like you could set it up so that the rich people had a reason mm-hmm. right maybe maybe one that was you know super selfish but it wasn't even it wasn't even that it would have benefited them right you know they they have all these workers who have injuries that can be easily healed it's like why are why would you want to just lose lose labor yeah so if, if they stop make any sense <laughs> if they stop they want to push is humans are just you know disposable resources and so it doesn't even matter if you die on the job you know because they can just replace you with someone else then you've got this this problem of like okay well the rich people occasionally have to come down to manage their you know their mega factories and they need like security because they're worried that the hordes of hungry and poor people are going to like attack them as they do because they're dying <laughs> And it's like, okay, well, maybe you should 
keep like a small subset of them at least like healthy and happy yeah so that like you know you have your 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 workforce that that is is like loyal to you but nope they just need to uh, need to get that plot going so yeah. so this is this is the thing like most stories are based off of a conceit that does not do the what i would say the full full due diligence but you've got to really be careful about it when you're doing it because you want to make a particular moral point or political point or uh, yeah. philosophical point because that's when you really start to feel the the fault lines or your your audience will really start to feel the fault lines in what you're writing out and you know like you like you described if you're thinking about it in terms of what could make this have come about in a rational manner and then what the natural consequences of this existing are the first order effects the second order effects of what the consequences of the consequences are the world building itself will tend to go better because you'll have more more material to work off of yeah i think you usually end up in a sort of richer more layered complex story too because you're not i i guess because you're talking about different things part of it is that i i tend to like the 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 more complicated mm-hmm. stuff as I, i'm sure i've said is i i like when you're you know trying to look at a system and it's not working and there are these complex reasons for it and it's not as simple as well that guy's evil yeah in terms of civilizational civilizational inadequacy um ever since reading that mini sequence i've actually thought about like what it would take to write a story in which that civilizational inadequacy was like evident through the world um and like it would be great to have that the result that be the traceable cause for like dysfunction in the world and, and things like that because it would be teachable through the through the story right you'd be able to actually see through the story why society sometimes ends up in these broken stalemates yeah but like then i thought about like a story in which someone actually solved the civilizational inadequacy and i'm like oh that would be that would be hard because if you could solve it in a fiction world sans using magic or like megatech or something you know we would have a much better idea of how to solve it in the real world which i don't think we currently do yeah, I think. Well, that's a different, more complicated question. Yeah, but it was, but it would still make for a good story if you're trying to. Yeah, I th- I think that a lot of a lot of the civilizational inadequacy problems can be solved through expensive, time-consuming reform. Right. And I think that you, I think that you could actually do that in a story. You just probably wouldn't focus that much on the expensive, time-consuming reform. You'd get it. You'd focus on getting a character or group of characters to the point where that they have the power and resources necessary to institute those reforms. You you do. And that would be most of the story. And then the climax would be them getting over the final hump of removing the last obstacle to implementing this new, their new plan. Mm-hmm. Right. We had a, so I voting systems are, are near and dear to my heart. You watch a uh, CGP gray videos, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, I did. I um, I live in Duluth, Minnesota, uh, mm-hmm. and we had a we had a vote to get ranked choice voting passed here, which failed. Um, but in, and I kind of didn't like their. There's like this thing about voting systems where none of them are perfect, but some mm-hmm. of them are less perfect, and it was the system that was going to be implemented was better than the one that we had, but not, not the kind of system that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that there, there, I went to a couple city council meetings on the matter mm-hmm. and uh, wrote to my city council members, some stuff about 
you know, voting systems and stuff like that. And I was thinking... Like a good citizen. Yeah. Well, especially for city council, you can make a ton of impact yeah. on, on city council. Um, the problem was we put the ranked... The issue of ranked choice voting was a, a yes-no vote, which is fine. But it, I mean, it, it goes to the general public. And the problem is that the if you're talking about like voting system criteria, you need a lot of information that the average citizen doesn't have. Yeah. Right. But I was sort of thinking about that whole process. This was, I think, a few years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was thinking about that whole process of, like, if you were to write a novel about that, right, you have this inadequate system, which is the current voting system that has just so much inertia and, mm-hmm. like, entrenched institutions. There are voting machine companies that you have to deal with and stuff like that. I was thinking that you could make a good narrative about that, and then your final climax would be the vote mm-hmm. on, on whether or not to implement this new system. And that, I mean, these systems have been ch- switching over voting systems is super difficult, mostly because people don't understand voting systems. But I was thinking that it was one of those things where you would, if you were structuring it, you'd sort of structure it as trying to get past all these hurdles. And then you have that final hurdle, which is the vote, which would be the climax of your story. Right. And I was thinking about that in the context of inadequate equilibria Mm -hmm. and how you might apply that to something more interesting than voting systems. Yeah. Any, any, any problem in the real world that this applies to, whether it's like arms race between universities or, uh, unnecessary, um, like artificial stumbling blocks for professions like doctors or things with voting or politics in general, like you can make a, hesitate to say, but like more exciting quote unquote version of it in a, in a magical or, or like sci- sci-fi um, setting. Uh, one thing in, in the Pokemon one that I've been trying to, trying to find a way to, to input in was something with that uh, just to show the societal inadequacy of, of the scientific community uh, while still having it be something recognizable, recognizably better. Uh, and then have that be something that like red has to struggle with. And, you know, like you can, the, the reason that it's, it's important for, for Red is because he's trying to like find out all these things about Pokemon and like, you know, discovering facts about Pokemon tends to be somewhat important if it comes down to whether you can like save people's lives with those facts or like capture them or be stronger as a trainer with them. And so the scientific edifice of the Pokemon world, not that it's not super important in our world too. But like you can see more people being engaged in that process in the Pokemon world than you would in our world. Like more people would be interested in the process of like how these how these facts about Pokemon get out there versus in our world where it's you know mostly ignored by anyone that's not a scientist or a scientific philosopher or something. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's it for world building and second order effects for now. Thanks for listening and stay tuned after the outro music for another book recommendation by Alexander Wales on the Stormlight Archives. Audible is offering a free 30-day trial with a free book credit, which you can take advantage of if you'd like to support the show. My recommendation for this week is the Stormlight Archive series by Brandon Sanderson, starting with The Way of Kings. Sanderson is a rather prolific author, and this is his epic fantasy series, with thick doorstopper books, dozens of viewpoint characters, and a larger scale than what he's worked with before. 
I feel like world building, and specifically second order world building, has always been one of Sanderson's strong points. The world of Roshar is dominated by immense rock hurling storms that move from east to west, which has all sorts of interesting first order effects, like the best place to live being cities built in the lee of a mountain or cliff, the architecture being suited specifically to defend against heavy winds from one side. The second order effects are in trade, travel, the organization of civilizations, and the prominence of cities. Because the high storms grow weaker as they move across Roshar, the vegetation and plant life are affected, and the civilizations that live within them are adapted to different conditions. To get the audiobook, go to audible.com rational and start your trial today.